You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Outdoor Edge in their complete lineup of knives and game processing kits. These guys right now are doing an absolutely huge giveaway where you could win an elk hunt and not just any elk hunt. We're talking about a seven or eight mile horseback ride into the backcountry. We're talking a one-on-one guided hunt. You're going to be sleeping in a wall tent and you're going to be doing that for five days with the founder and CEO of Outdoor Edge, David Block. Now, if you've never been on an elk hunt before, I'm telling you right now, go sign up for this because if you ever hear a elk bugle, whether it's at 400 yards or it's at 40 yards, it is a life-changing experience. So here's how you enter. Go to OutdoorEdge.com. There's going to be a big banner for it somewhere on their homepage. All you have to do is click on that. Go fill out some information. I think your name, your email address, maybe some other stuff. And that's all you have to do. That's how you are entered. They're going to be picking a winner oh, a ways from now. So you have plenty of time to enter. Go visit OutdoorEdge.com. Sign up today. And if you decide to purchase any products from the website, Enter the discount code NATION30. That's the word NATION with the number 30 after that. No spaces. NATION30. And you will receive 30% off your purchase. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ohio Huntsman Podcast. And this week we talk about public lands throughout the state and how they're seeing more use, more activity, more traffic. And now that hunting season has opened... How that is, in some cases, resulting into some some conflict between hunters and and hikers or, or you know people just out enjoying the outdoors. So we've we've touched on this a little bit in the past, but uh, we dive into it a little bit more today. And yeah, so you'll hear that in a second. Before we get into that. I want to talk about our sponsor, Mastin's Deer Sense. So Mastin's is a deer scent company, as the name implies, and they have a lot of interesting products. So they've got your standard liquid scent, but you know you can get your your estrus scent, which is particularly useful this time of year. But they've also got Buck Reaper, which has got scent from a couple different glands on a on a buck, and Above and beyond that, they've also got scented gel crystals. They've got their double scent stacker, which allows you to layer two scents together. Lots of interesting things. So check them out, mastinsdeersense.com, or you can just go to ohiohuntsman.com sponsors and get all of our sponsor information there. And now we're going to jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Ohio Huntsman Podcast, where three brothers, Jason, Jacob, and Jeff, discuss all things hunting in Ohio. Our goal is to be your source for accurate and reliable hunting news and conservation issues in the great state of Ohio, as well as some fun and interesting conversations along the way. This is the Ohio Huntsman Podcast. Are you listening? All right, so... We're going to talk about a couple different things today. Jeff kind of brought these topics up, and one of them, basically, we've we've touched on this topic in the past about like non-hunting users using public lands. Basically, uh, Jeff's got some additional nuance, kind of to to introduce to this topic. It's kind of an ongoing discussion here with us, um, but in this time of uh, COVID and you know people being worried about being inside around other people in big groups, whatever, whatever, uh, there's definitely seems to be an increase in 
usage of public land. So we want to talk about that as well as the hunter education course in Ohio. So those are the two main topics we're going to cover today. So Jeff, if you would kind of introduce, I mean, I introduced the, the topic, but you know, like I said, we've talked about it a little bit in the past, but what's kind of your additional, uh, spin on it or, or maybe new information that you want to discuss this time? Yeah. So this topic of, you know, non non hunters or whatever you want to call, you know, people who aren't really pitching in to conservation using resources that are funded by hunting and fishing dollars um, seems to be a topic that just keeps coming back up and up for us. Um, you know, I, I think the first time we talked about it was Colorado uh, had recently passed a uh, a law requiring people who wanted to access their uh, game commission property um, to either purchase a hunting or a fishing license, um, which they got a lot of backlash about. Um, but Colorado is a pretty big place for outdoor recreation, and it's only growing and Colorado noticed that at the current system, basically, they couldn't fund their wild places, you know, because they were getting more people were showing up to their uh, wildlife areas. I mean, you know, I, I think they call them game lands there, but uh, then they really were getting the money for so that they had the resources for so. I right. mean, more people means more maintenance, means more right. expense. Right. Parking more. lots, bathrooms, yeah. trash cans, law enforcement. <clears throat> and we kind of talked that, you know, we kind of foreshadowed that uh, this could be, you know, a problem that we kind of run into here in Ohio this fall because there's going to be a lot more people out, you know, using nature you know, out in nature because of COVID, you know, and people, you know, a lot of activities are canceled and people want to spend more time outdoors than indoors where, you know, there's a higher risk of catching the virus. Um, well, if any of you guys have been paying attention to social media, it's started happening. Um, a lot of hunters are finding that there's more people out walking the woods, hiking, whatever, photo, you know, photography, um, while they're trying to use those woods for hunting. So you know, whether... I haven't, I haven't seen any of this. So like, you know, uh, any of these posts or anything. So. Mm-hmm. There's guys out hunting and then somebody walks up on them that's just out for a, a stroll or something or, or uh, you know, elaborate on the on the situation a little more. Yeah, most of it's, you know, guys out hunting and people out for a stroll, walking their dog, whatever, you know, roll up on them and, you know, some some people are just getting upset about people walking past. Um, I saw one guy on social media who these people, it was a wildlife area and, uh, they came out and had a picnic like 40 yards away from him. So he's oh, really? sitting in a tree there having a picnic photo shoot, you know, perfect fall day. There? Uh, he got down and talked to him and. Uh, they basically told him to go get bent. Like they have just as of much of a right to be there as he does. Okay. Which, by law, they they do. They have just as much of a right to be there as he does. Right. Um. Now there there has been some instances um, where it's probably you know some of these interactions have borderlined hunter harassment. Um, you know, Ohio does have 
a hunter harassment law. Um, I think it was a guy hunting in a a state forest, so it wasn't a wildlife area. It was a state forest, which is more, you know, uh, what's where I'm looking for? Uh, oh, it's more contoured to hiking use and other uses other than hunting and fishing like a wildlife area would be. Um, But this lady was hiking and uh, she was banging together uh, two bottles to make noise because, and the guy got down out of his tree and asked her what she was doing. And she said she just couldn't bear to see, you know, someone shoot a deer while she was out for her walk oh and that's that's borderline hunter harassment you know because she had the intention to you know she had the hunt yeah right so i mean if if you run into a situation like that you know you're more than within your rights if you will to call the game warden and try to get that solved and in um, that situation, I think the game warden is probably your best bet, right? Like, I yeah. would imagine he's going to come in and be on your side. Not that, you know, yeah, I, yes. maybe that's not the right wording, but he's going to inform her that what she's doing is illegal or, you know, flirting with the line of being against the law. Right, right. But we're running into these instances where, whether it be national forest, state forest, parks that allow hunting or wildlife areas uh, that there's more interaction with other recreators and hunters. And, you know, this is something that we kind of thought was going to happen. Um, Another thing that a lot of people are sort of blaming this interaction on is this is the first year that the ODNR has included wildlife areas in their uh, fall uh, leaf color report. You know, they oh. in, in, in the past, they've said, you know, like they would list parks and state forests and, you know, say like their uh, near peak color, peak color, well, this year they added a couple of wildlife areas to the, those lists, and a lot of people are having a problem with that. You know, because Just they in, in having interactions with people that aren't hunting while somebody's hunting is what you mean by right. having a problem. Yeah, with yeah, that. they feel that it has greatly increased the number of people that are using those, you know, properties to recreate other than hunting and fishing. Sure. And just greatly increased traffic through them, you know, which kind of disturbs the animals. Yeah. So, I whether that's true or not, I don't know, but it it definitely could play a factor. I mean, if you're saying such and such wildlife, you know, Woodbury wildlife areas in peak coloration right now, well... I only live 10 minutes from there, so I'm going to go drive around those roads and, you know, maybe stop at one of the parking lots and walk down a trail and take some photos. Sure, yeah. So, but this is uh, something that we kind of expected to happen, and it, it definitely, when it comes to the wildlife areas... It definitely doesn't seem fair to the hunters, um, you know, because those areas are funded by hunting and fishing dollars, and people are basically getting to use them without contributing anything. Right. So you're, I guess, what is the, I don't know, the the point that you're trying to make that you that you're at least with with wildlife areas, you think you should need to have a hunting or fishing license to access those, or 
I yeah, I, I mean, I think in the past there's never been a problem. Right. You know, there's never this problems never really arose in the in the past because not that many people were utilizing the outdoors and the ones that were were utilizing areas specifically designed for the sort of recreating they wanted to do. You know, if they wanted to hike, they were going to parks or, you know, where there's like established trails and trails and that sort of thing. Yeah. And now there there's overflow like no, the parks are so overrun with people that when people want to get away from people, they're having to find more places to go. And wildlife areas and you know state and national forests are kind of filling in that void or you know that need and it definitely doesn't seem fair to the hunters who are funding these areas and so if if this does continue i think that yes there needs there's going to need to be something you know something some sort of regulation change um where you either have to buy a hunting license or just completely close you know wildlife areas to non-hunters or fishers you know like they're they're not available during you know during the hunting season yeah you know from september 1st to uh the end of february and then during turkey season you know because i don't i don't think increased people probably bothers people fishing as much sure you know but if if it did um you know because i don't i'm trying to think of a scenario where the increased activity could bother people fishing i mean i know some some fishermen don't like it to be noisy you know so if people are out there making a you know a racket it could bother them but i think it's definitely if if the current situation the current trends persist there there needs to be something done to make things more fair to the people who are funding those areas. Yeah, and this I'll be honest, I don't honestly know where I stand on this because it's you know, it depends on the day or the mood I'm in because I can I can see and argue both sides of this argument to myself. In that, if we start to charge other people for accessing these lands, there's a very real argument that, well, now that I'm paying into the system, I want more say on what these lands are. I'm paying for them. I like to hunt this area, or I like to hike this area, I'd like to see some established trails through this area or, you know, I, I like that this place is close to my house and, you know, I see, I see very real confusion around the types of lands and their sort of intended purpose. And while you can, you know, have educational stuff out there to try to communicate that there's no way you're going to reach everybody. You're going to have lots and lots of people saying this is public land. I want to use it like a park because in my head, that's what public land is. It's a place for me to go and publicly recreate. And so where are the bathrooms? Where are the trails? Where are the picnic tables? And so on one hand, on one day, I can argue with myself and say, let's just leave well enough alone. 
deal with the few people that are that are accessing them and let's continue to be the only contributor because then hunters and the hunting community have a bigger say in in what these things are right yeah and i mean absolutely you know like i think wild wildlife areas need to stay wildlife areas for sure and i definitely see how people paying to access them they may feel that they now get a say in what happens and i mean i i you know, and then it just becomes a more tough conversation because basically then the ODNR has to say like, well, no, this property's for this and that property's for that. And, you know, you chose to pay towards a property that's designed for this. And, you know, and really the one that gets me is just the wildlife areas because you know, the national forests and the the state forests, like, those are have more intention. You know, they're... More multi-use. They're, right, yes, yes. They're more multi-use. Where wildlife areas, I mean, their real purpose is for con- consumptive use, you know. It's for hunters and fishermen. Right. So that's the one that I really struggle with and I'm excited that more people are starting to value the outdoors, value nature, but also we need to make sure that the money coming into the system can support the amount of use. Sure. So, I, it's it's definitely a tough situation. Yeah, and the other argument that I that I struggle with, or the other point, is you know because because you know I think you even mentioned it. One one possible solution is well, just close wildlife areas to anybody other than people that have a hunting or fishing license. And I don't know. I, I, I can certainly support that, but I can certainly, like, does that go against, you know, I'm, I'm pro-public lands, right? People should have places to go recreate. And I'm, as you can probably tell, I'm, I'm trying to form an opinion live on the show because I, you know, like I've said, I've gone back and forth on this in that there's a part of me that it just feels wrong to tell people you can't be on these lands, even though they're public lands, you can't be on them. Right. Yeah. I, I'm with you. I'm kind of forming this opinion live as you know, you guys were talking, but, um, to me, I, I, I don't know how to put words to it, but I kind of feel the same thing that you're saying about it almost makes it, I mean, it's not like the King's deer or whatever, you know what I mean? But it's, I feel like if you're limiting access, it's no longer public land. You know what I mean? And there's a lot of public land out there that no one has access to, you know, I mean, or very, very few people, you know, land that's that's held in, your trust, you know, I mean, nature preserves, you're not allowed on. And that's, that's public land. It's that, that, you know, you own that land. It's held in public trust, but it's not to be used. It's uses to be protected. And I think that's sort of where wildlife areas need to be kind of more defined as well, they're not for just general public use. They're for the hunters and fishers, hunters and fishermen. That's kind of my two cents. Yeah, I can, I can, I mean, cause I'm, as we're, as we're talking, I'm, I'm leaning more and more that direction because it's not like there's no other public land 
for people to recreate on. Right? Like if it was wildlife areas or nothing, boy, would I have a hard time arguing for closing them to only, you know, only hunters and, and fishers. But there's lots of other, you know, state forests, state parks, uh, national forests. You know, there's lots of other places for people to get out and recreate. And so maybe the more I think about it, maybe it, it would be okay to close. I mean, they're still public lands. You can still access them. But the use of these these particular lands, like you mentioned, Jeff, is for consumptive use of wildlife, using a renewable resource, allowing people to sustainably source their own wild protein. And that's what this is for. And it's not for hiking. It's not for bird watching. It's, you know, it's for this one thing. My, this is just devil's advocate that just, like I said, I'm forming all of this as we're talking. None of this was pre-thought out on my part. Um, what I worry about with that is now, as hunters and fishermen, rightfully so, if our quote-unquote our public land is these nature preserves that's set aside for us, then we're going to want our money from licenses, tags, to go towards all quote unquote our public land and it i just see that becoming like a funding issue i want you to put my tax dollar or you know my license dollars towards nature preserves because that benefits me that's where i hunt versus yeah. funding all the other public land that now you know it's I mean, still going to be used i still use it i still can use it but i can just see that be I can see guys getting all up in arms over that. I mean, I think that is what, I mean, I think if you told most hunters like, Hey, your hunting license also goes to fund, you know, that, uh, state park, they'd probably be a little upset about, it, you know, which it does. Right. So it's, it's more of a lack of information now, you know what I mean? Like, most hunters already think that that their hunting license fees are going to wildlife areas and game wardens. You know, like that's what they think their money's being used for. Where, yes, that's part of it, but it also funds other public lands that right. hunters don't really have access to. Right. You know. So. Well, and I. I mean, my opinion kind of comes from a. As we've talked about on the show, you know, like we were, we cut our teeth on the Wayne National Forest in Southern Ohio, um, which so we're, I mean, everyone has access to that land, but the area that we grew up hunting, I wouldn't call it overly crowded by any means. Um, during gun season, sometimes it gets a little, you see other, you know, you run into other guys and it gets a little crowded, but if you just go down there on a random Wednesday, you're not going to see another person in the woods. Right. Um, you know, there's no, none of that's happening. <laughs> there's no bird watching. There's no very, very little hiking unless it's guys who have cabins down there that they also hunt it. And they're just down there like we are with our families or whatever. Um, so that part of me, you know, it's like, I don't want to say it's hard for me to believe or see what these guys are talking about because I, I know it happens in other public hunting areas. I'm well aware of that, but, um, you know, it's, I guess my counter argument to kind of the point of the whole thing is like, well, if you don't want to see other people, then just go to public land that other people don't use in the middle of nowhere. You know what I mean? Like I, I know firsthand there's public land in Ohio that doesn't see a ton of boot traffic. You might have to drive a long way to get there. <laughs> right. But if that's your goal, if you don't want to run the risk of someone walking their dog by you or whatever, bird watching or 
You know what I mean? There's, I know for a fact, there's public land that you can go recreate on. Again, if it's gun week, you know, you're going to see other guys. You're going to have trucks. You're going to have people pushing, doing deer drives, the whole nine. But for a random early season bow weekend, I, you know, there's places to go and you're not going to see another person. Now that deer season's open, if uh, you're looking for something to give you that extra little edge, check out Monster Whitetail Grub. They've they've got awesome deer feed that can bring deer right to your stand, and it's good product. We've had good success with it. They've got their their signature Monster Whitetail Grub feed, which is a high protein feed. They've got flavored corn options. And then they've got straight mineral. So whatever you want or whatever you're looking for, they've got it. And it can help you be successful in the deer woods this year. So go to ohiohuntsman.com slash sponsors and you can order some of their stuff and put it to good use this year. So with that, let's get back into the conversation. Right. But those places aren't 15 minutes away from my house that I can, you know go do a hunt and then come home and see my family. I agree. And yeah, I agree. But that's, that's the problem. You live in Ohio. I mean, if there's only so much public land too, we don't have very much in the grand scheme of things. (laughs) Right. You know, if you're, if you want public land right out your back door that no one else touches, you know, move to Wyoming or something. I don't know. (laughs) Right. But I guess what I'm kind of saying here is like the, these lands, wildlife areas, were set aside specifically for the recreation I want to do. Like that is their intent. That was how they were funded. They were set aside for this. And I can't do the recreation I want to do, at least the way I want to do it, because people who this land was never intended for are using it and ruining what i want to do on it you know and that doesn't seem right yeah i mean i can i can i can certainly agree with that and i was i was sitting here thinking you know man does this does this set a uh sort of a, a a nasty precedent in that we start closing public lands for only certain uses but we already do that Right. I mean, like you mentioned, Jeff, nature preserves, but like there's lots of public areas that are not open for hunting. Hunting. Right. You know, right. You, there's bird watching areas where, you know, you can't go hunt. So, I mean, we, we already, we already do that. Yeah. And maybe that's how we solve this is all public land is public land for anyone who wants to use it. You know, so if I want to go hunt in the park, I can go hunt in the park. And if you want to walk in my nature preserve, I can, or my uh, wildlife area, you can walk in my wildlife area. You know, ev- oh, everybody, man, that... you know, <laughs> let's, let's you just make people... it a free-for-all. There we go. <laughs> oh, boy. You want to see people's hair light on fire. Right, but, but I, I think mean, that, it's... that might help the other people understand like right that gets at the core of the issue right you want to come out and watch birds at this wetland well i want to go out there and shoot ducks who's who's right who's allowed i want to sit in my tree stand and hunt deer you want to hike through here and enjoy the fall foliage you know it's yeah phrasing it or, or forming the issue that way sort of uh it uh, changes it somehow, changes the argument, or, or it uh, colors it differently. Yeah. So I guess just because I'm unaware, I guess, of the actual, I guess, I don't know, the were wildlife areas, like they were specifically designed as a place to hunt, or they were specifically designed as a place for wildlife to thrive? Because to me, that's a big difference. If they're designed as a place for hunters and fishermen to go hunt and fish, that's different argument than they were designed as a place we're going to set aside 
where wildlife has all the things they need to do well. Yeah, because then if you're a game watcher or a bird watcher or whatever, if I want to go see white-tailed deer in their natural habitat, not hunt them, just go watch them, then that would be a place I would go do it at because I know there's going to be deer because they specifically designed this to hold and have deer flourish. So I guess it depends on what the intent was when they created those. In my mind, it makes a difference. Yeah, Maybe it shouldn't, but it does. (laughs) As far as I know, wildlife areas were designed, they were set aside for the intention of consumptive use. So hunting, fishing, and gathering, if you will, was the intent. You know, uh, nature preserves were kind of set aside for wildlife to thrive without human interference, if you will. And then, like, your parks were set aside for natural beauty and also, you know, wildlife to thrive in. But wildlife areas are designed and were set aside, and most of the funding, if not all, comes from the from hunting and fishing, you know, that money whether it's directly from hunting license, whether it's from other charities, whether it's from Pittman-Robertson money, it it all, you know, is funded from consumptive users. Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a good point, Jake, because I, I agree. It, it, while it's a nuance, it's an important nuance. And I, you know, Jeff, I got to believe what you're saying, you know, and if, if, if that is the intended use of those, of that land, then yeah, it again sort of adds color to the argument that we ought to be, we ought to be restricting those lands, at least during hunting season. Right. To right. hunting and fishing use only, or, right. you know, some form of that. Well, this also kind of brings us to state and national forests having timber harvests. You know, a lot of hunters get upset about that because it's ruining their hunting. Mm -hmm. But, like, that's the intended use of that property, basically, is to be a a timber farm. You know, it's it's a state or federally owned timber farm. I mean, it's using the natural resource um so it just kind of i don't know all boils back to maybe we need to do a better job at explaining to the general public what the purpose of different public lands are because you know it kind of seems like a lot of people don't don't really know like what the intended use is and what what the purpose of it is and that there is a difference between this public land and that public land that's a good point i mean because that that if you could solve this without any additional like legislation fees you know and just explain like yeah you're allowed on there but you're kind of being a d if you go in there during hunting season you know there's you know just like you know there's no rule that says i can't come hunt 40 yards from you but you're kind of being a d you know like and we as hunters have decided that you know we that's just not something we do so there's like a little bit of an unwritten gentleman's rule amongst hunters right and so, you know, maybe in a in a ideal scenario, you know, just with some some educational outreach, you could maybe mitigate the issue significantly and say, yeah, technically you're allowed in there, but would you want somebody to come ruin your form of recreation, you know? I mean, I guess with like the pic- people who are picnicking, you know, I'm just thinking about, you know, 
would you want to be picnicking and then have a, a deer run by that's, you know, spilling blood because it's just been shot. Right. You know, like had that, you know, if that happened in a park, like people would be pretty mortified. Yeah. And it's, but, and I guess the other thing is just kind of notifying the public that like, especially right now that they're having an impact, you know, and like that, that the, the systems that they're using are being overrun, you know, the, the outdoor recreation areas that they're using are being overrun by people. And most of these people aren't really contributing any extra dollars towards what they're using. Right. You know, cause even, even the national parks are having big issues because their roads, their bathrooms, their everything was never intended for the amount of people that they're currently getting right now. And kind of being loved to death at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's great that you're now finding the value in this stuff that, you know, us as hunters and fishermen and outdoorsmen have already, you know, have already found but also hey can you pitch in a couple of bucks to you know help this resource out right because i i mean i've and this is all the way from the smallest to the largest you know your little township park all the way up to you know the national parks and you know from your uh your county public hunting all the way up to your national, you know, your Wayne national forest, your national public hunting, you know, they're all being utilized oh, way more than they have in the past. And the maintenance is suffering. Right. Yeah. Well, I don't know what the answer is. You may, you may hear us talk about this more and, you know, as things continue to, to play out over the rest of this year, next year. Uh, you know, I don't know. I guess if, if this is, you know, something that weighs heavily on your heart, if this is something that, uh, you know, maybe you're one of the people that have been impacted by this, your, your favorite public hunting spot is kind of being overrun with other recreators, you know, maybe reach out to the ODNR and at least let them know that, that you want them to be thinking about this. Aside from that, I don't, you know, I don't really know. Give yeah. me your opinions, I guess. Be yeah. kind. <laughs> I mean, I, I think this general topic will be one that will come up in the future more and more. Um, just for the fact that it seems like we're going to need new strategies on how to fund the outdoors. Yeah. You know, hunter hunter populations are going down. So either we need to get more hunters, you know, we need to recruit more hunters or some other group's going to need to step up and start paying for the outdoors. And it's a tough it's a tough situation, really, you know, because yeah, I is. think we would all just like to recruit more hunters. But, you know, it's. It's proven to be a tall task. Right. Which probably brings us into the next topic I wanted to talk about, which is uh, Ohio's hunter education system currently. Right? I mean, we've... Yeah. There yeah, was nothing you guys wanted to talk about this no, anymore, I think, right? I think yeah. that's a perfect transition. <clears throat> yeah. So I recently discovered, because I was... Someone had asked me a question... Um, someone looking in to get getting in the hunting had asked me a question about hunter's education and I, you know, answered their question and they basically came back to me like, you know, you're an idiot. Like, that's not how this works at all. You know, because I said like, oh, go to the ODNR, you can find a hunter's education course that you can take and you know, you show up, you take the, the class and you take a quiz and you have your hunter's education. 
well, I with COVID, they've completely suspended all in-person uh, hunter education courses. Okay. And they, they have an online option, which is what my wife did a few years back. Um, but I don't remember it being this expensive when my wife did it a few years back. I thought you did have to pay a small fee to, to do the online course. Yeah, is um, that, because we talked about this way long ago on like getting into hunting. And as I recall, you had said there was a fee that was basically associated with like managing this online portal for right. the Hunter's Ed system or something. Right. They, they use a, a third party vendor to do their Hunter's Ed course. So there was a small fee and I, I thought, and I could be wrong, but it was like 10, 12, 15 bucks, you know, somewhere around that range. Mm -hmm. Um, now the fee, I, I believe it's $20 to take the course. And then they hit you with another $10 once you've completed the test at the end. To, to actually get your certificate. So it's $30 to take the course. Um, plus this online vendor that tries to get you to take other hunter education courses that they offer that are not required by the state. Like they try to get you to take a bow hunter's education course and a primitive weapon hunter's education course. Mm. You know, which are additional fees right which aren't required by the state to take but i see they they do not make that clear okay um at all and you know this third-party vendor in my opinion is pretty shady when it comes to like explaining what you need to do and what you don't need to do um because I, I also think per state law, you can't take the online hunter's education course unless, well, you can't, yeah, you can't take the online hunter's education course unless you're 12 years old or older, 12 years of age or older. And what they tell you is, Oh, on their on the vendor's website, they say you can take the course, but then you need to wait until you can take an in-person course, you know, with your state. Which is basically saying, hey, you can pay us, but once you take this course, it doesn't actually get you anything. Huh. So I, the third party vendors just in my opinion it's it's real shady and when my wife took the course um i didn't like the hunter's education course that they offered either it 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 didn't focus on safety as much as it fo focused on like educating hunters on what hunting is you know it's not a, a hunter's safety course it's a hunter's education course i guess is kind of like what do you what do you mean what hunting is what what kind of stuff were they talking about do you remember well like they they talk about like you know Pittman Roberts and stuff like that oh, and they, okay they they went way more detailed into like types of firearms like into like specific parts of firearms that it's like it's not important that you know the name of that part of the gun. You know, it's not like this is the trigger, this is the safety, this is the trigger guard. You know, it's like a completely taken apart gun diagram and you got to name all the parts. And it's like, uh, okay. heck, I don't even know what that thing's called. I just know what it does. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like trigger, hammer, firing pin, you know. Hmm. But then, like, tension spring, it's like, I don't know, it's a spring. I, what do I need to know that it's called a tension spring? <laughs> right. 
you know, and yeah. it was just stuff like that. And it was, it, it talked a lot about ethics, like hunter ethics. And it's like, but then kind of breezes through safety. And it's like, what I'm really worried about is people being out there being safe. Yeah. You know, if someone's out there unethically hunting, like, yeah, that, you know, upsets me or whatever. Like, I don't like that, but I'm not going to die. Right. If someone's out there being unsafe, like, I could die. Yeah. You know, so it's like uh, priorities, I guess. You know, let's let's learn safety first. We can talk about ethics later. Right. Yeah. So it seems like just a, uh, uh, maybe there needs to be some more scrutiny on this third party vendor and, and what is actually I, I'd be curious to know, like how they settled on this. Did you know, did they review this? course i would i've got to imagine they reviewed somebody at the odnr reviewed this course material and approved it and was you know was happy with it and then did it get changed or modified or i'd be curious to know how that is all set up and yeah monitored i mean i definitely don't think that this course material was specifically tailored to ohio i think they offer a hunter's that you know a, a hunter's education course that fits you know that you can take it in many different states and it fits their criteria right and we just um, fill in your your right. like ohio contact info on this slide or or whatever right and i i guess really what i'm the the point of this whole gripe if you will is um if you're looking to get in the hunting or you're know someone that you're looking to help get in the hunting, maybe have them get the apprentice license right now until they start offering in-person courses again, because you'll get a better knowledge of hunting in Ohio with the in-person course. And it, in my opinion, it's just a much better experience. I'm surprised they aren't doing like everybody else is like, you know, WebEx or Zoom or, you know, like you sign up for the course and they send you a Zoom link and we all sign into this meeting and the, you know, the, the course instructor is going to teach and everybody else is, you know, going to watch and listen and, and basically do a virtual classroom. Yeah. Right. And I, I, I wonder if if they're not because I I I asked the internet about this, you know, I asked Facebook and one person did like give me an email address. They said like reach out to this person. Um and it was like the head of like the Ohio Bow Hunters Association or something like that. Okay. So I I wonder if some organizations aren't doing that like offering like a private tutoring if you will oh, you okay. just gotta find them you know so maybe if you reached out to the odnr and said like you know i really don't want to do this online course like is there some other option they might be able to get you in contact with someone um maybe but it's Another thing is, yeah, just to kind of get the word out that, like, if they do, if you do the online one, make sure you read what you're supposed to do on the ODNR's page before you go over, you know, before you click the link to the third-party vendor, because the third-party vendor's website will confuse you. Like, so you, you want to make sure you read what the ODNR says, what you need to do, and just do that. That's a good point. I mean, that's a good, uh, I guess, good public service announcement. Service announcement. And, uh, yeah, I guess hopefully they uh, get back to offering the in-course. And I guess the other thing I was going to add is if uh, 
if you're like Jeff said, if you're looking to get somebody in or, or somebody's interested and you're planning to hunt with them anyway, then that apprentice license is, you know, maybe it sounds like, you know, I haven't looked into this at all, but maybe sounds like is a better way to go at the moment. Cause you, you know, you may get better education from a one-on-one mentor situation than you would from this, uh, sort of generic online hunter safety or hunter education course. So kind of piggybacking on what you said, Jason, you're surprised they're not doing zoom. I mean, let me just preface this with, um, this is patent pending information. So when the ODNR does this, I want my royalties, but (laughs) all they got to do is record one of their classes. Like you said, a zoom press the record button, record the meeting. And now they can provide that as an online class and not use a third party vendor. Yeah, you save just everybody eliminated the, that, right? Yeah. And then you can charge people an extra ten dollar convenience to do online and make money. Yeah, and not have to worry about a third party vendor. And then it would be Ohio specific too, on top of it. I mean, you right. still need some way to like, and you 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 may still need some sort of third party vendor in that you need somewhere to like behind a a paywall or behind a login get access to the hunter safety classes, videos, whatever, and then administer a test. You know, like there's got to be some infrastructure right. there that isn't there on, you know, on the ODNR site. It's not set up to do that. That being right. said, there's lots of, there's lots of, um, online instruction, things where you can put up a course online for, you know, and people take money on learning how to use Excel or, right. uh, you know, anything like that, right? Like you can use any one of these services that are, are relatively cheap, I think. But that's a good know. thought. Yeah. And I mean, they're already doing that sort of like, you know, recording stuff because I watched a, uh, a YouTube video um uh actually i think it was a uh facebook live that then they recorded to youtube but it was waterfowl hunting for beginners you know it was the odnr and he was okay you know just explaining like these are things that common things that people screw up or have questions about you know and it was fairly helpful you know because there's some things that as a you know, someone who waterfowl hunts or, you know, like for us who, you know, deer hunts. Well, yeah, the regs book doesn't say that you can or can't do that. But obviously, you know, it's common sense. Like, that's what they mean by this in the, you know, in the regs right. book. Right. So same thing with waterfowl hunting. There was a couple of things where it's like, well, it doesn't explicitly explicitly say what I'm supposed to do here. Like, so I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. Sure. And, you yeah. know, it answered all those questions. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe, uh, Jake, maybe you're onto something there. All right. Anything else you guys want to touch on on this one? No, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. Okay. Well, it's been a an interesting conversation today. Like like I mentioned before, you know these these kinds of things are probably going to continue to to come up as you know the landscape changes because of the impact COVID has had on everything. So we'll keep talking about it. And in the meantime, if you know any of you out there listening have comments, concerns, questions, let us know and you know, get in touch with the ODNR. Okay. So that's it for this week. Hopefully this was, uh, uh, maybe, you know, I usually say this was, you know, fun or interesting for you, but in this case, I'll say, you know, hopefully this was, uh, thought provoking. Hopefully it gets you thinking about our public lands, how they're funded, how 
the resource needs to be protected and how it needs to be maintained and more people needs more maintenance so hopefully got the wheels turning and uh yeah i don't know what else to say other than that if you're not already following us on social i encourage you to do that lots of uh you know fun and interesting things going on over there or Ohio Huntsman on Facebook, Ohio Huntsman underscore podcast on Instagram, and send us your photos. You know, as you guys are having success in the woods this year, send us your photos. We like seeing that stuff and uh, interacting with you. So, with that, I'll let you all get back to your week, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.